thank you for being here this morning as we continue to understand and receive from the Holy Spirit what the Lord is saying to us this morning through these passages. Amen? Just to reiterate something we already know, but I think it's important for us to continually remind ourselves. When we read this Bible, including the Old Testament, we are reading the specific words of God himself for each one of us personally and as a church, correct? We are not to disregard anything in the Bible. We are to understand it and understand how it all coheres as a unit. And there may be passages or events that we don't understand and maybe don't even like. But we don't dismiss. We allow it to remain in an area of maybe mystery. Continuing to trust that God has and continues to speak to us through these words. Amen? And so this is a real issue today's world, especially in the church. The minimizing of the revelation of the Holy Spirit in this word. And so we'll continue this morning as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Remember last week we talked about God has given us. Let me pray first. Wouldn't that be nice? Father, thank you so much. Father, we thank you that you always meet with us by your spirit. Always. Father, we thank you that as those who are in Christ, there is nowhere we can go. There is nothing we can do. There is no word that we can say. There's no attitude. There's no thought. There's no desire. That you, by your spirit, does not know. So, Father, we thank you that, thank you that we cannot hide from you. Thank you that this gives us the absolute freedom and confidence to confess, to ask for the grace of repentance. Thank you for that, Father, for we know this, that all that you know of us, everything, you have forgiven that much. There's nothing left out. So, Father, as you speak this morning through your word, as always, we ask you to communicate to us, through us, ministering your word to us by your spirit. Continue to use this word as your mighty power through the Holy Spirit to continue to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So last week, we, verses 6 to 8, we discussed the three witnesses that proclaim 
Jesus' identity. Do you remember the three witnesses? How many, who can say the three witnesses? Steve, you have a hand raised pretty quickly. I can't hear you, brother. The water, the blood, and the spirit. Those are the three witnesses that God himself gives to us that are the historical evidence of who Jesus says he is. Now, there's more witness than this. But these are the three witnesses that specifically point to the incarnation of the Son of God, that specifically point to the fact that he is the Messiah anointed by God, that specifically point and declare that his purpose on earth was to atone for the sin of his people. All of that, all of that for this, that God is the primary beneficiary of the incarnation. Amen? Let's remember, never make us the primary beneficiary of anything in the gospel. God is and always will be the only beneficiary primarily of the gospel, correct? We are the what? Secondary beneficiaries. His benefit, his glory is manifested in what he has done in us, for us, and through us in the incarnation of his son. Do we get that? So all of this, all of our life in Christ, none of it is primarily about us. It's all about you can, you can say something in the class. I like to hear words. It's all about what? God in us, through us, among us. So whatever is happening in your life, please begin to disabuse yourself of this. It's about me, and I've been hurt, and I've been attacked, and I, I, I. Put away that idolatry. That idolatry and say, God has been attacked in me. God has been vilified in me, etc. Amen? And this begins to free us of all of this feeling of hurt or whatever that the enemy wants to use to destroy or attempt to destroy the revelation of the Holy Spirit's glory in us. Correct? That's just the beginning. We didn't have anything in your notes about that, so let's just continue. Okay. Why should we accept the testimonies? Why? God has given us three testimonies, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. Correct? Why should we accept them? So Paul's going to, the Apostle John is going to talk about that in verses 9 to 12. Do be praying, I think, that I should finish this whole section today, so let's see. So in verse 9, John makes three statements about these testimonies. Three statements. We're going to just break them up. Statement 1, 2, and 3. It's going to be real easy. First of all, in the first part of verse 9, in your notes, does it say V9A? You do understand that some verses, if you would, have one part. Then some verses have two parts. 
or two statements. Some verses may have three, etc. So A is the first one, B is the what? Second one, and three is the okay, you're on fire this morning. Got it. Right, okay. Well, just in case someone may say, why does he put an A there? That's just breaking them down. All right, John reminds us. Well, first of all, the first statement, here's what John says. If we receive the testimony of men, if we believe what men say, he begins this way. He begins on the natural ground of our willingness and normalness to accept the testimony of other people. Now, how many of us have ever seen an event and we had to give a testimony or make a, you're a witness to something? Anybody? You've been a witness to something and you've been asked to give some kind of a testimony. What did you see, Karen? Okay, you saw this. What did they say? And you, you repeat that. And then Darlene is there also. And so we, we look at these two testimonies. And if they're in pretty good agreement, not perfect, what would we say? That what these two ladies have told us is the truth. This is the normal way we do life. So John is saying this. He's reminding us that believing the testimony of three credible witnesses, not just what three people say, but three credible witnesses is a basic tenet of what we do in life, but is also a basic tenet of the Jewish law. I want to quote to you from Deuteronomy 19.15 at the end of that verse. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So the Apostle John is stating in the Jewish law this issue of Jesus' identity as a son of God. It's not something that we're left to kind of figure out on our own or wonder about. God has given us the three credible historical witnesses or testimonies that what we have said about what he has said about Jesus, what Jesus has proclaimed about himself is, in fact, what? The truth from God. So let's remember, how did John start his epistle? How did he even begin it? He began it by testifying. The whole epistle begins this way. I lifted out some of the words from John chapter 1, verse John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, we, who's we? How many is in we? Minimally, what's the number minimally in we? Two. Now, it may be more than two, but you remember the Deuteronomic law said, let it be established in the, what? In two or three witnesses. So when John says we, that obviously has to do at least with two. The probability is much more than that, but at least we know it's two. He says, what we have heard, this is natural evidence. I heard what you said, Nick. That's natural evidence. What we have seen with our eyes, natural evidence. What we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So John says, what I'm going to be writing about is not just a story or a conjecture or a theory or some kind of religious thing. We were there. We are part of the evidence that this man historically has been declared to us to be the son of God. Historically has been declared to us. 
Sometimes Christians get in this thing about, well, I don't know, you know, but it, I know that Jesus. No, we need to be clear on this. This is an historical event that has been testified to over the years. Remember in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, Paul is defending the gospel. He said, that which I first received, I gave unto you. Remember the charisma of the gospel, that Christ did what? He was what? Born according to the Scriptures. He died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised. Paul states, this is the essence of how God saves us through the gospel. And then he says this, just to make sure. And remember, Paul is writing the Corinthian letter about the year 50 or 55 A.D., which means this, thems to whom he is writing or thems who have seen or can give witness to, he's not telling the truth. He's writing to people who knew personally whether what he is saying is actually the truth. So he says this, Christ appeared to Cephas, to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, many of whom are in this church, he would say. Many of y'all saw Jesus alive after the resurrection. You see, it wasn't just the 12 disciples. It was much more than that. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So we see this here, that the fact that Jesus was here, that he was declared to be the Son of God, is witnessed in a natural way. That Jesus rose from the dead is a well-established historical fact attested to by credible witnesses, those who saw him. Now, this is very important. When you do a study of history, you're going to read accounts of other people about a particular event. All right? Have you noticed that? Now, there are two types of accounts. There's an account which is called the primary evidence. The primary evidence is that evidence written by someone who was there at the time of the event. Are you with me? This is the primary evidence. Then there's secondary evidence. There's evidence that is written by someone who wasn't there, but who has read enough and researched enough, and he has concluded that this is what's going on. Do we see that? From the period of time that we're speaking, that first hundred years, the first century, there is no, may I repeat that word? There is no, may I repeat it again? Did you hear the redundancy? Repeat it again. There is what? No. There is no credible evidence to the contrary, that Jesus rose from the dead. There's nothing out of that period of history that is a credible evidence that Jesus 
did not rise from the dead. Oh, you follow me. Why do I say credible, Ron? Because any ding-ding can write anything. So 100 years from now, we see the evidence that you're married to this lady named Flo. And we have the evidence of, of Ben Darensborg. And we get an evidence of Bex over here and others. So we see that. Then all of a sudden, we come across a writing from the same period of time that says, eh, he wasn't, he wasn't married. All of a sudden, the propensity of the natural man is to do what? You see, you see, I told you he wasn't married. Did you read that? Oh, you following me here? Have you heard some of these off-the-wall things about the gospel of Judas and the gospel of Thomas and all of that, and Jesus really didn't die? He, he, he swooned on the cross, you know. Well, what about the blood and water that came out of his house? Well, you know, and when they put him in the tomb, he, he revived in some kind of way. He moved that great rock out of the way, having been scourged and beaten almost to death, right? Correct? And then some kind of way he stumbled out, and he and Mary Magdalene went off to India and got married. Now, I want to press this point. Put yourself in that time period. And the Jews and the Romans have conspired together. Talk about their Jewish officials. And the conspiracy is this, Carrie. You have said you saw Jesus alive. We're coming to get you because we want to undo that. So we string Carrie up against the wall. And we have a hot poker. You know what that is? One of those metal things that have an end. Hot poker. And we're saying this, if you don't tell us where the body is hid, Linda, we're going to poke your eye out with this hot poker. Now, if you knew that the body was hidden somewhere, Carrie, if you knew where they laid him, and they're about to put out your eye, or they're about to put out your son's eye, or more than that, they're about to put out Locke's eye. Linda, Carrie, Would you tell them where the body was? Would you or not? I can't hear you, Grandma. Say it again. Yes. You tell them. Why? Because you ain't getting nothing out of this. And even if you were, what is it to get out that they're going to put your son's eye out or your grandchildren's eye out? Is there any evidence from anybody who was tortured that confessed that the body is over there in that grave and they dug it. Do we have anything like that, Al? Why not? Why couldn't they confess? Because there were no body. There's no body to confess about. Jody, you're just going to have to put my eyes out. I can't help you. There is no body. Paul, you see this? Now, believers, we need to get this under our belts. Nick, I'm trying to move along quickly, I know. Look, listen. We need to get this under our belts. I understand, I truly do, and I wrestle with it. The Bible gives an account of humanity 
which is as a time frame, basically humanity's been here, eh, give a few days, about six or so thousand years, correct? Are you with me this morning? Everybody's awake. Miguel, are you here? Lisa, are you here? That's about what the Bible says. The Bible says that humanity began in a garden in Eden. The Bible says that God created this man out of the dust of the earth, and then he took woman from his side. Remember this? It's a spare rib. Now, that's what the Bible says. Now, Joe, have you heard anything to the contrary from geologists and historians and whatever? Have you heard anything to the contrary? You never have. Have you been awake? How old, how, how long has man been here according to what humanity says? Hundreds of what? Hundreds of thousands of years. That homo sapiens, that's who we are, married and or maybe not married, I don't know what they did, but to the Neanderthal. And then in fact, in our genes, I don't know if all of us, we have smidgens of Neanderthal genetic material in us. <laughs> Now, looking around, I can see some Neanderthals in here. <laughs> oh, my word. Hey, Cody, how are you? <laughs> I'm just saying hello to Cody. I'm being nice. I'm, I'm, I'm being re relational here. I'm being relational. <laughs> There's spaceships around us. Aliens are coming in. We hear that evidence what? Or that testimony what? All the time. Could it be? I don't know. And so when I listen to all that, especially when young people listen to it, these two Nathans here this morning, and by the way, the rest of the youth should be in here. Parents, those of you listen, your kids should be in here. Can you say amen? amen. I know I'm being radical and abusive. But it's always going to be that way for you to be protected and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through the Word. I'd be more radical and more abusive if I kept my mouth shut. So you get young guys like this. What's your name again? Uh, Nathan Yusuf. You don't have to hesitate. It's okay. Your mama gave you the name. Nathan. Nathan. What's your name again? Nathan. We have two Nathans here. Gloria and Lemoyne. Two NLs. These guys, this generation especially, these three little darlings at Nick's table, these over here with the lows, they are being bombarded by what the world calls evidence that Christianity cannot be. Oh, these two. I'm sorry, three. I saw it. I mean. That Christianity cannot be believed. You two back there. Christianity can't be believed. All of this stuff undoes the viability, the veracity, the trustability of what this Bible says. They are getting it moment by moment. 
Now, you think I'm just being schooled, don't you? They're getting it from their friends. They're getting it from television. They're getting it from ads. They're getting it from their neighbors. There is an unrelenting, non-stop, all-consuming attack against the gospel that especially is going to be resonating perhaps as the truth among young men like this. I have to wrestle with these things just like you. How, how do you, what word do we put this and this together? I mean, what word do I want? Reconcile, thank you. Help your husband stay away. No. How do you reconcile these two facts? Can anybody reconcile evolution and the Bible th- uh, report? Can anyone reconcile it? Donnie, you can't reconcile it. You can't reconcile it. You can't reconcile millions to thousands. But, and that's not even a good one, but I understand that. Here's how I deal with it. I have a choice. Am I going to believe what the world says? Or am I going to stand on the incontrovertible evidence that this man who lived, whose name was Jesus, died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again? My rock of stability is in the resurrection first of all, and then secondly, what he has done in me in reviving me, forgiving me, and transform, being, continuing to transform me. Amen? Amen? That's the rock on which I stand. So, Nathans, you two guys, when you all begin to doubt, I really mean this, when you begin to doubt, look at an old bat like me. Seriously, look at an old bat like Anna Chatelaine. No, 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 no. You look at us, old bats. I'm leaving you out of this, Lloyd. No, 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 no. Look at an old bat like Darlene DeShari. No, no. Look at these old bats around here. The greens. Look at these old bats and realize this. These men and women have lived 70 plus years and who are as convinced today in the truthfulness of the gospel as we ever have been. You want evidence? Look at us! Not at how great, wonderfully I live my life, Michael, but at the fact that I still stand on the evidence that Jesus Christ is alive today, and if he is alive, and since he is alive, he's coming back. Correct? Look at us! This is why we so desperately need older folks. Ron, I'm sorry to leave you out of this 70 crew. Uh, And the turn is here. How many old people do we have in here anyway? This is a large group. Seriously. When you begin to wonder and begin to waver. I remember Pastor Peter. I remember Miss Anna. I remember and start naming these people who have lived three times longer than you have 
and who have been where you have been and are as strong today in their confidence and even more so today than they ever have been because this truth has been verified in the resurrection as verified by eyewitnesses. And there was no body. That's why no one could say they've laid the body over there under the oak tree. Amen. This gospel is true. And you're going to be bombarded by this. Nathan, you make sure you keep him up to date once, he, once we leave and tell him what we talked about. Do you understand this, friends? I don't want to be condescending. Do you understand? But do we get it? Are we on board with this? This, these two facts have sustained me all these years. God saved me in 19, April of 65. Pharaoh, there's no telling when you were saved, but I think in 1805 or something like that. But since April of 65, I don't know how many years that is, God has sustained me. And he sustained me in two ways. The historical evidence and the personal experience of that evidence by his spirit in saving me. Do you understand this? There are two levels of evidence. Historically. It's never been disproved. The day, if it should ever come to this, let's say they actually dig up the body and this is really Jesus, we shut down the church. Because it's not true. We shut it down. Do you believe the historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you or not? Nobody said yes. Do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do we believe the historical evidence? Yes. Yes. And just don't believe it because, well, the Bible says it is, therefore I believe it. That's important. But also believe it through the natural history. Biblical history, natural history, you understand. And the natural history says they ain't never come up with the body. And had there been a body died and whatever, living in wherever it was, even if... Mary Magdalene and Jesus had gone to West Wego some kind of way. Somebody would have said something, you see, and we would have found the body. Correct? Are you with me? Was there a body? Nobody. Nobody at all. So if someone writes one of these preposterous things about 100 years later, whatever, and all that, don't believe this stuff. You know, we go out there, look at that, look at that. The gospel of Judas. Oh, look, the Qumran scrolls. Look, they write. Well, of course, how many people do you know write lies? All the time. I just felt I needed to, if you would, accentuate this more than anything else. It's so important. Because the foundation of the validity and the veracity, the believability of our faith, of Christianity itself, for me personally and for you personally, is that I believe the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. 
and that he is coming back. The resurrection is the rock bottom foundational evidence that our faith is genuine, okay? You want to see an exposition to this and go to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and Paul will work this out for you. So how do we believe the external evidence? That's the external evidence, by the way. The external evidence is what? The Spirit's giving evidence in the water and in the blood. That's the external evidence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit always gives two evidences. What did I just say? If I, I, th there is a natural evidence. Jesus was a man who historically existed. He died and he rose from the dead. That's the natural external evidence. And how did the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do with that? What did I say about myself? He's made it, what, real in me. Do you remember what I said? The external evidence now must become internalized. The external evidence must become internalized. We can all day long believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe he was a good man. I believe he even rose from the dead. I, I believe he walked on water. I believe he did all the miracles. All of that is wonderful in and of itself. But if it's not internalized, if it doesn't become an internal evidence, an internal transformational reality, then you're still lost in your sin. And why do I say that? Because you see, there are several out there, hopefully not in here, who will say, well, I'm a believer, what? Because, Annie, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Do you know how many churches are filled with people who actually believe these facts? Do you believe that? Are you with me this morning or awake? Churches are filled with people who believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin, who believe that he was baptized by John the Baptist, who believe that he ministered for about three, three and a half years, who believe he was arrested, who believe he was tried, who believe he was crucified, who believe he was died, he was buried, <clears throat> and he rose from the dead and even ascended into heaven. There are thousands who believe this. Is that the basis for them or anyone to declare, I'm a believer? Yes or no? No. I'll leave you with this. I'll stop today. Looks like I'm going to continue in the next week. The external must become internal. Why, why did I felt moved upon to do this? Because I think this is where many of us are, these kinds of wrestlings. And we hear the evidence of someone whose life, obviously, Shane, is not a believer. And then we hear them say, catch a touchdown, Jesus well, I'm, I'm fine with that. That doesn't mean he's a believer. We have to be careful whom we understand to be believers and on what basis. So this morning, I think and I hope 
I believe, first of all, that all of us believe the external evidence. Do we? Has that evidence become internalized? When you hear the evidence of other people, and I've seen this happen too many, oh, well, he's a believer because, no. Don't you ever do that. That's a deception. He's a believer because he believes the external evidence which the Holy Spirit has internalized in him. Could you say it one more time? He believes the external, he's a believer because he believes the external evidence because it has been internalized in him, I say internalized, that means in him, by the Holy Spirit, correct? So is a person saved because he believes that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's the son of God? Does that save him? No. But believing that in his heart, internally is the evidence of salvation correct so we'll be back next week